and welcome to Dear Percival, a very special, special podcast. In this one, uh, we showcase excerpts from the upcoming uh, novel, People of Bloomsbury, by the brilliant, totally brilliant author. <laughs> Didn't have to pay me too much to say that. Totally brilliant author. What, the checks in the post, is that right? <laughs> Mr. DJ Swales. And this section, Dear Percival, um, relates to the diary entries written by Mr. Danny Savarino, um, one of Mr. DJ Swales's fabulous, fabulous characters within the said novel People of Bloomsbury. Yes. And I should be reading, first of all, some background um, knowledge about Mr. Savarino and then all the excerpts from the Dear Percival diary. Right. Let's make a start then. Are you excited? I am. I am. Right. Hang on a second. Right. I've had my slap of tea. The first episode is called Danny Savarino. And here we go. I've worked in the Druid's Eye for three years now. A narrow but deep Bloomsbury bookshop. Stock is focused on first editions and new releases of esoteric, mythological and magic books and high-margin accessories. There are also several shelves that creak with an infinite variety of second-hand books. Sadly, my book addiction drives half of my salary back into the till, but a staff discount allows me 50% of the price of in-house tarot card readings with the great Mrs. Garib, who incessantly pushes me to buy her crystals too. This has been most helpful since my parents' mysterious disappearance at sea five years ago. The discount warding off my bankruptcy when the need to consult the unseen powers overwhelms me. That said, I have limited tarot readings to no more than once a week. Though I am still desperate for news of their fate, I miss them so much, you see. The Druid's Eye has always stocked my favourite finds, mostly those heavily marked by prior owners. I delight in discovering the observant scrawls in the margins and the passionate dedications of undying love and familial tenderness often seen on the first pages. The oldest dedication I found dated back to 1805 in a book unmasking Napoleon's secret occult pursuits in Egypt. Most of these publications were sourced from the treasured bookshelves of the recently and dearly departed. Through a network of vicarage spies across England and Wales. My top spy, in terms of both volume and quality, has a pedigree. She is a distant relative of author Enid Blyton, Mr. Bootle confided proudly during my induction week. Patient Virtue is her name, and she is a retired psychic detective living in the Malvern Hills. That's where C.S. Lewis worked as a schoolteacher, I replied, trying to impress. As a Narnia fanatic, I'd studied everything about the author. Indeed, and where he often took Tolkien hiking, said Mr. Bootle, before adding how Patience claims to regularly cite the author's ghosts sipping in their favourite former nook in a pub called the Unicorn. 
I learned how patients lived in what the Guinness Book of World Records later validated as the smallest theatre in the world. Though she now rents a flat in the Malvern Abbey's medieval gatehouse, where she wards off the spirits of amorous monks. Mr Bootle claimed that patients can sniff out a good book from a distance of five miles, literally following her nose. She has remarkably large nostrils. She's part bloodhound, said Mr Bootle, outlining how her astute senses have cemented her monopoly on all seconds to be sourced in Worcestershire, Herefordshire, half of the Cotswolds and the more civilised parts of Shropshire, including Shrewsbury and Ludlow. She has been declared persona non grata in Hay on Wye, Mr Bootle added. I've heard of that place, with the famous literary festival, I replied. And doesn't it claim to be the second-hand bookshop capital of the world? <laughs> oh, please, Mr Bootle said, chuckling. It's hardly a festival. More like an excuse for a romp. It's no capital of anything. It's just a greedy little Welsh seed town near Hereford, sucking up every book that its predatory shop owners can get their talons on. They have no quality control. Not one bookshop amongst those bland stone streets can match what we have here in the Druid's Eye, Danny. If anything, I should be running a festival. No sooner had the words tripped from his tongue than Mr Bootle paused, digesting the seeds of his words. What a collaboration! A tour de force that will put the Druid's Eye firmly on the global map! His idea for the Bootle Book Festival of Bloomsbury germinated at that moment. He hasn't mentioned the matter to me since, but I've overheard him engaged in dozens of conversations. There will be stalls snaking from Stall Street. Oh, around the corner of Bedford Square, he said in one, seemingly gushing at his own genius, and all the way into the corridors of the British Museum. After the mayhem that it erupted when we installed the booth, the druid's eye now remains fairly calm during office hours. A few oddballs press their faces to the glass at opening time, but they dash in and out. Then there is the lunchtime spike, of course, but most customers pop in after work, usually as a result of some mid-afternoon rabbit hole of internet research while bored at their desks. Yuppie commuters are our main one-off clients, either desperate for love spells or nurturing a fleeting interest in fairly harmless witchcraft. They can usually be counted on to leave with one or two items of coffee table quality, the expense of their purchases correlating with how much they desire the fates to shine on them. Basically, we are selling indulgences, Mr Bootle told me during my training referring to the medieval religious charms that brought their buyers blessings and get-out-of-jail-free cards from a hellish purgatory. We need to stay on top of trends. Day of the Dead masks are becoming a thing. People want something a little bit Frida Kahlo and a little bit Skeletor. And make sure we are always stocked up on Ouija boards for the local university students and suburban homemakers, especially at Halloween. Nothing like a few cocktails and a Ouija board, I said to him, at which he raised an eyebrow. A lethal witch's brew does lubricate the planchette, he advised.
Oh, the glass thing, I said, reinforcing my name in my mind, as I would at every opportunity, so customers were less likely to question my knowledge. Names! Remember the names of the celebrity magicians, sorcerers and witches, said Mr. Bootle, speaking from years of experience, Alistair Crowley, Madame Blavatsky, Nostradamus, Marie Laveau, Old Mother Hubbard and Gerald Gardner. The most disaffected and unfulfilled customers will search out their biographies, seeking meaning in their lives. Uh, I think you mean Mother Shipton, I said sheepishly, before he insisted that's what he said. I moved on, telling him who I'd heard that Gerald Gardner had founded the Wicca religion on the edge of London in a Hertfordshire nudist camp. A wonderful man, but absolutely obsessed with melee Chris Daggers, said Mr Bootle. Much like the goth computer nerds of today, I said at the time, forever ordering samurai swords online. Every school has them. I suppose, Mr Bootle half agreed, but at least Gerald Gardner didn't spend his summers like those goths, wandering around in long leather trench coats. The sweat on them. No, he bared everything to the elements. Coincidentally, one morning at my desk, I had opened a written invitation from one customer, a bricket wood-based swinger, to visit her clothing-optional bed-and-breakfast guest house, which adjoins the nudist camp where Gerald Gardner founded Wicker. Among all the surplus flesh, she wrote, as I sat back in the chair with my toes digging into the bookstore's soft carpet, you will find an old Welsh witch's cottage that Gardner had relocated from an isolated copse deep in Herefordshire. Pink Floyd once spent the night inside it, tripping on acid, then refused to come out. Was Gerald naked at the time? I'd murmured aloud while reading the missive. I pictured the band as high as kites as they barricaded themselves against the scores of wobbly naked people that were gathering outside the cottage, craning for a glimpse of the rock stars. Probably, said Mr Bootle, causing me to jump out of my skin as he devoured the letter over my shoulder. I hadn't considered that perspective. When a barefoot Mr Bootle first approached to offer me employment, stealthily, as he does when he wishes to note which pages are most holding the attention of customers, he quietly assured me life would remain largely unchanged. Considering the time I had already spent among his ramshackle shelves, I naively agreed. As his most regular customer, stepping behind the counter felt like natural evolution. At first, while browsing, I had imagined Mr Bootle's soft voice to be the product of my overactive mind until I'd smelt cardamom, which he chews constantly, and felt his breath on my ear. I had nodded yes without looking up from a faded copy of Mother Shipton's prophecies. I'm a kind of expert on her since a school trip to visit her cave of creepy calcified teddies and toys in a plunging valley below Knaresborough Castle's overlook, where a lady switches around in a medieval costume and encourages ravens to chase people. When you're ready, come to the office downstairs. Mr. Bootle whispered with his offer, Today or whenever it feels right, you were born for this. Thank you! That was episode one of Dear Percival. 
um, a podcast that showcases uh, Mr. Danny Savarino and his diary called Dear Percival. Now, Danny Savarino is one of the myriad of brilliant characters written by Mr. DJ Swales for his new magical realism novel, People of Bloomsbury, which is available to pre-order on Amazon right now. And when you order it, it won't be five minutes before it's either downloading into your Kindle or flopping onto your doormat. So, please enjoy this podcast and then enjoy the rest of the fabulous characters within the people of Bloomsbury. It is a wonder. Thank you. Thank you. 